Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Digital Tiny Room. I am Michael, your co-host for Michael and Benjamin's podcast, and I am digitally joined digitally by renowned bad egg and poor computer user Ben. Say hello, Ben. Hello, Ben. I am a renowned bad egg when it comes to bloody internet. We've had a few technical issues today. Um, bloody technical issues. Bloody 45 minutes I've been sitting here looking at a blank screen waiting for your face to appear. bloody thumbs. Isn't it nice that Michael waits for my face every Sunday? Isn't that nice, listeners? Isn't every Sunday, sitting here just hoping your face will appear so we can get <laughs> this over with. <laughs> That is what it's like. A quick, a quick note to our to our listeners. Um, as as many of you loyal and dedicated fans, the thousands of you that listen every week, know I have I have left the tiny little Emerald Isles and I am currently residing in Firenze or Florence. Um, and uh, tonight, Fiorentina, the football team of Florence, is is playing in Italy. And right across the street, what are from, they playing in, Ben? The Champions playing- League. No, I, it could be the Champions League. It could be a local friendly. Um, it, it could be space football for the amount that I know about football. But they are playing some form of sporting. And my gosh, are the, are the, the boys and girls over here, the, the ragazzi over here, they're, they're big fans. My goodness. They're, they're passionate um, about football. Or calcio, as they call it. And <laughs> You and your Italian. Look at you. Look at you. Look at me. Um... So yeah, the the problem that we have there, listeners, is that there's a there's an L there's an L pub across the street from me that's big on football. Um, so every once in a while, you will hear a tumultuous kind of Italian accented roar of either delight or tragedy, um, and that is not a response to the podcast. That is a response to the football being played. The so football just in, is on. Just in case you had you thought we had like a a blood mad fan base here in Italy, we don't. They're not cheering. No, us. It's like they're cheering. Six the people in Italy like who listen to us. Two, I, I would say. <laughs> you and I have Stupid to Italians. check the podcast every week. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Benjamin, that's just a little note on quality. Yes, Michael. Benjamin, we've had a tweet. We've had a tweet. We've had a tweet from uh, Colleen Bona at Colleen oh, Bona. She's back. Do you remember her? She's back. She's back. Uh, at Colleen Bona, whose real name is Roisin, she asks. Hey, you guys, um, I saw the trailer for Deadpool 2 and all of the people like you around me got very excited. What am I missing? And now, we're not, we're not going to go into what she means like people like us. Well, I think she's, she's a noted, she's a noted um, racist and she does like to, to class people in different forms. So it is very much a, an us and them thing at all times with Colleen Bonner. Um I mean, I think it's in the name. It's white girl when it's translated into English. We we, we clearly have some issues of race purity going on in that, that end of the world. I um, think she meant Colleen Bonya, but she got the words mixed up. Ah. ah. Or maybe Colleen Donna. Oh, Colleen, classic. Colleen Donna, cockamillish. Wonderful. Oh, this chock's a chock show, then the monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> then let's, uh, so let's tell Colleen Bonna what's so exciting about the Deadpool trailer there. Why don't we? Um, well, I'm going to let you take this one, Michael, because my memory is poor when it comes to trailers at the best of times. Okay, Ben, look, the reason that this is a good trailer, and let's be honest, Ben, it's a very good trailer. It is. It's very active. It's very action-packed, but it's also, Ben, and you'll like this word, it's incredibly meta-referential. They they do love that. They gave they gave an old middle finger to, to the Justice League. They, they gave uh, an old middle finger to some Marvel films. They they they, did. they just kind of had a go at everyone in this trailer. Um, but I have well, to admit, the, 
the cable quip was particularly wonderful. You're so the dark and quip. edgy. <laughs> it was just really good. Um, so for those who haven't seen the trailer, I'm now going to do the best thing that you can do on the internet and tell you about what happens in the trailer instead of letting you watch it. Uh, oh, Deadpool's in a headlock um, and Cable is, is having a growl at him and he goes, oh, you're so dark and edgy, like a DCU character. Um, and it's it's quite funny. It's quite funny. It is, Ben. Also, um, he in the trailer, let's break this down for people who don't really know what's going on. First of Fair. all, at the start, he says he's off Thanos or something like that. Of course, the joke there being that Joss Brolin is playing both Cable and Thanos this Thanos. summer. That's our, that's our mm-hmm. Marvel middle finger. Yeah. Uh, then later on in the trailer, he calls him One-Eyed Willy. <laughs> One-Eyed Willy, Ben, as you know, as you well remember, is the name of the pirate from the Goonies, which was I Josh Brolin. I did not know that. Yeah, it's the pirate from Josh Brolin's acting debut in oh, the Goonies. In the well, Goonies. Hollywood debut. Jock Big Brother number one. Very good, exactly. Mm, uh, mm. So there, that's what I mean. It's just full of it's full of meta referentialness. Bloody, um, bloody did you heavy on the meta. That, did you notice that when Cable was shooting the the guns at him, and Deadpool was twirling his swords, that was an almost shot for shot remake of Deadpool's pivotal scene in Wolverine Origins. It was exactly a shot for shot remake. I think we're exactly. again another little. Another little an, a tip of the cap to a sewed this shut. Time, this time, hilariously, uh, the bullets all went through him and they came out the yeah. other side. It was brilliant. Yeah, and he just really takes that down. It's quite nice. It's, <laughs> he just It hurts him just as much as it used to. Yeah, it's, it's very good. Also, um, there are lots of exciting characters, Ben, aren't there? There are exciting characters. Yes. We've, got, we've, got your, we've got your Terry Crews character. Mm-hmm. Um, we got your what's her fantastic Zazie Beats character Domino Zazie. Domino looks I, good I like how I love how they're doing Domino's powers uh, Domino I like how she's been blown out of that building and she's flying towards that big inflatable panda and she's just very relaxed because she knows she's going to land on it yeah so it's perfectly fine like it's a nice way of doing it I like the superhero tryouts they made me laugh is it they, Ron is Ron Peter. the character Peter Peter <laughs> They're a nice throwback to Mystery Men. Do you remember Mystery Men? I, d- I loved Mystery Men. We've talked about Casanova Frankenstein very recently film. on the podcast. Um, I think we did. One of Ben Stiller's, there you go, there's there's Fiorentina have just scored a goal. Um, and um, yeah, Mystery Men's a great old bloody B-list, C-list superhero squad put together. Bloody Hank Azaria throwing forks at people. Bloody bloody Mr. Madness, Ben Stiller being being... My superpower is rage. <laughs> He's Mr. great. Mr. Furious, I believe. Yeah, Mr. Furious or something like that. That's his name, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's one of... Every mm. time I think of a really, really revved up nerd at a keyboard, I think of Ben Stiller's character in Mystery Men. My and superpower then, is my, that, un, my unquenchable rage. I think it's amazing. That is one of your, your most hated uh, types of people. Yes, I turn into one when I'm combating that type of person. Which is um, hilarious. Which is hilarious. It's an ironic tragedy that I've yet to, to realize about myself. Then, Ben, there are also a couple of like pretty obscure characters who are getting their first shot on the big screen. Shatterstar. Shatterstar is so niche. I know. So he has one niche. of the most ridiculous he, backstories in comics history. He belongs to Mojo World, doesn't he? He's, he's one of the, the Mojo yeah, World Yeah, he's a genetically kids. engineered superhuman, super sexy sword guy. Yeah, and he has... He's, he's, look, he's classically field. Um... He's he's got tiny some feet, knee pads, loads of pouches, some tiny feet, 
lots of pouches, some big fuck off swords. Um, Impractical double swords. He's a bit sassy. He's a bit sassy. Um, Mojo, notice? um, Sorry. Go on. No, you go on. No, you go on. All right, fine. Mojo World is a a strange X-Men offshoot. Uh, Mojo World belongs to the uh, eponymous Mojo. Um, Not Mojo Jojo. Very important. Uh, And Mojo, it kind of runs Mojo World as a strange mutant butchering facility. He upgrades and... um, He upgrades and kind of enhances humans to combat mutants and uses mutants in blood sports. I don't imagine that we'll be seeing any of Mojoverse in this. I think Shatterstar will just be a mutant. Yeah, he's just going to be a mutant. But it was just kind of an interesting... An interesting uh, kind of look into... All of that. Did you see the new Phase 4 lineup, Michael? Speaking no. of odd... Have, oh, you haven't seen the lineup for the new... For the new phase of Marvel movies? Are you sure it's real? Yeah. Phase, um... Hang on, let me let me find it here. Well, you you find that and I'm going to keep spinning, spinning my yeah, wheels. Yeah, you, you keep spinning your wheels thing. about the Did you notice Deadpool that trailer. Uh, Bill Skarsgård's character? Uh, you, I didn't you, see... Is he, Bill, is he in it? Bill, Bill Skarsgård is Pennywise the Clown. And he is in the in the plane scenes, jumping out of the plane oh, uh, with a that. yellow piece of plastic protecting his lower mouth, which makes him look very much like Zeitgeist. So Zeitgeist was a Peter Milligan X-Force character. Ben, do you remember Peter Milligan X-Force? Yeah, Peter Milligan does a good old run on most things, doesn't he? He's, he... He did the he did the X Force with Mike Allred, my one of my faves, Mike Allred. You're you're a massive Mike Allred fan. You you and Mike and Allred have a thing going on. Me and I, Ben, I wish we did. We just draw little pop art characters together all day. I think you'd be great. Doing at gross that, things. I feel like that's your. Oh no, you're gonna you're gonna fanfic them. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, go on. Zeitgeist was the team leader in the new X Force, and what he what he did was uh, he could spew acidic venom. Acidic vomit, I mean. Ooh. Um, but in in the comic books, Ben, he lasted but a single issue before he uh-huh. was killed off in the famous Boys R Us massacre. What? What? What is the famous Boys R Us massacre? The Boys R Us massacre. Look, you have to read yourself some Peter Milligan X Force. Um, oh, the Boys R Us massacre was when uh, Boys R Us, a boy band, were kidnapped by non-specific terrorists who were demanding a ransom. And X-Force were sent in. Um, but they weren't too pushed about really saving Boys R Us because the management company knew that they would uh, sell more records if they were dead. And then it turned <laughs> out later that Coach, who was kind of like the Professor X of X-Force, and Zeitgeist, who was the Cyclops of X-Force, had uh-huh. kind of set up the whole had set up the whole thing. And Zeitgeist was supposed to survive, but the guys who piloted the attack helicopter accidentally blew off his bottom half. So he died. Okay. So that's the story of Zeitgeist. Oh dear. Yeah. You quite often go well for him. Half. Yeah, it's got many of the uh, best no, that's bits. That's awful. That's awful. Um, also, Ben. Uh, yes. Sorry to interrupt you. Also, it looks like no, the trailer for problem. Deadpool contains the first little glimpse of Juggernaut. It looks like we might be oh, getting a more comic book accurate Cruise Juggernaut. No, probably not. Okay, I because I'm wondering who Terry Crews is playing. You don't know who he's referencing, do you? Who who's referencing? Terry Crews. 
Terry Crews is playing Bedlam. Bedlam is also an X-Force character, but Bedlam's powers in the in the comic books again were about uh, causing havoc with computers and machines and whatnot. Oh, it okay. doesn't look like that's what this guy has. It looks like he's a kind okay. of strong man. Ah, yeah. classic, classic bloody strong man archetype. Classic Terry Crews. Um, classic, yeah, Terry Crews being Terry Crews. Terry Crews in it up. Um, yeah, unfortunately, Michael, uh, in reference to the, the previous thing, uh, no, it was a, a fan-designed uh, MCU uh, lineup, but it's pretty impressive. Like as as far Go as on, hit me, fall, hit me, hit what's, what's on it. up things. Uh, so it's it's some of it is very um, it's very comic book uh, inspired. Now this is not official, ladies and gentlemen. It is a fan kind of fan prediction for what will. But they've taken come up you next. in. Then. They've taken me. They got me. They got me. Um, one of the ones is is obviously a Fantastic Four movie. One of them is a Black Widow movie. Um, Doctor Strange Illuminati is what they want to call the Doctor Strange Ooh. sequel. Um, they want to have um, a Thunderbolts movie, which would be very interesting. Uh, the Thunderbolts are the the kind of government wet work squad in the Marvel universe. They consist of villains that kind of it's kind of like the Marvel version of Suicide Squad, tricked into um, being good. Yeah, most almost exactly the same. Um, Namor and the Submariner was uh, an interesting one, um, and then uh, also a Warlock movie. But you see, what what tricked me, Michael, is the excellent graphic design that has been uh, used in each one of these. Because whoever designed it is obviously exceptionally talented with both Illustrator and Photoshop, because they look exactly like genuine Marvel bloody. Um, genuine Marvel title cards. Um, and we'll, and stick gonna, the, we'll stick it in the. Oh, we'll stick it in the video. We will definitely stick so it in the video. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it into you there, and you can have a little look. I was very I was very taken in by it. But then again, as we've mentioned on the podcast before, famously weak minded yeah. on this end. Famously weak minded. I have the attention span and willpower of a puppy. Um, so yeah. Ben, speaking of uh, Infinity War and and Marvel and whatnot, do you want to play? Do you want to play the Twitter game we've got started? Which is uh, pointless Infinity War speculation. Yay! Uh, everybody, everybody has to do one pointless Infinity War speculation. Yeah. And the more unbased in any sort of reality it is, the more points you get if it actually happens. Okay. So, for example, my personal prediction is that Johnny Blaze, Johnny. Johnny Blaze, is that his name? Johnny Blaze, Ghost Rider. Yeah, yeah. He's going to show up and okay. he's going to use his penance stare on, on Thanos to make Thanos feel the pain of all the beings he's killed. But uh-huh. Thanos is just going to like it because he's a bit kinky. Oh, he's, he's into that. Yeah. He's into that. So he gets slapped around by, by Thanos. Mistress Death. All right. Oh, he's such a kinky fecker. Yeah. Um, ben, would you like to give us your pointless Infinity War right, speculation? Let's, let's take it. Uh, so, uh, first of all, the wonderful news for Tony Stark and Captain America shippers is um, both of them so clo- so come so close to death that they, they go shirtless and there's a big makeout scene between Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans. Um, so, I mean, that's that's great <laughs> news. And um, Ben, that is even less likely than my one. We're going to use... We're going to use... And you see, what happens then is we're going to use the classic aliens don't understand love. Yes. Um, and Thanos is going to be so moved by the love of Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans... Um, that he's going to leave us all alone. Um, oh yeah, all right. He's going to no, say, 
rarely does the universe bring a tear to my eye, but this has moved my icy heart. And we, we're gonna we're gonna have that. Um, and then uh, Shuri and uh, Spider Man will go off into the sunset together. Um, Bucky will start Civil War Two because he wants to shift Captain America, not Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> and then, you've, you've really you're milking this idea. You're supposed to have one pointless speculation, not well, a whole. It's bloody... a domino. It's a domino speculation, not, not a whole. Not Zazzy Beats based. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my prediction, um, Michael. That, that's mine. Very good. Thanos is going to be moved by the power of love. Benjamin, here are two things that I've watched this week. You yep. can decide in which order we'll talk about them. Uh, two things I've watched this week are the new Netflix series Lost in Space. Yay! And the John, John Kaczynski horror film A Quiet Place. Oh, well, let's do Quiet Place first because Lost in Space is an odd one. Quiet Place. Let's, let's Quiet Place it up. Uh, the best thing about A Quiet Place was I went to see it in the cinema, Ben. Ooh. And a family sat down beside me, a mother and three children all under 10. Oh, no. So I stood up and said, whoa, is this, am I in the right place here? I assume I've made a mistake and I'm in the wrong cinema. I'm going to see Paddington Which 2 again. Um, but I didn't. I went out. I checked. I was in the right cinema. And then at the start, we were in, uh, this is not product based. We're not being paid. But I was in View Cinema. And View Cinema seem to have Mark Strong doing their announcements. Oh, that's kind of so cool. So Mark Strong comes on in the... It is pretty cool. Mark Strong comes on in the darkness and goes, You're about to watch A Quiet Place. Remember, no loud noises. Oh, that's no good. No mobile phones. If they can't hear you, they can't hunt you. And the three kids went, Ah! <laughs> Oh, and then the mother stood up and walked the three of them out. I don't know if she realized they were in the wrong cinema or if like she was she really wanted to see it and was going to try and get away with it. She had mistakenly but, uh, bought the wrong fucking <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I don't know. I don't know what was going on. But Ben, it's quite good. My I went to see it with my lady friend and oh. my lady friend is not a big horror fan. She has seen most horror films from under the cover of her own hair. I, I, if she, I had long hair, I would do the same. But she actually watched most of this. Um, I wouldn't really call it a horror. It's a very... I mean, it is a horror, but it's a very kind of innovative family uh, action drama hmm. uh, horror. But horror okay. is the fourth thing in that list. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not the game changer that we've been led to believe but it is very good and it makes use of sound very very well very well Look, yeah. i would strongly recommend it ben okay i'll i'll try and i'd say it'll probably be in the odeon at some point i'll, I'll ben along. here's the great thing about it go see it in italian it won't make any difference oh yeah because there's not that much bloody dialogue is there there's almost no dialogue oh what a great film and and what dialogue there is in it you you'll you'll pick up from context anyway fair enough i tell you what i like about that john krasinski good egg um, vehemently, vehemently fought to cast a deaf actress as his daughter. Um, yeah, well, I think it it adds a lot to it yeah. having a, but um, a kind of native speaker of sign language. It was really interesting because he used her. He worked quite closely with um, that actress and her mother um, to work out how he could convey her world. And apparently, when you look at certain shots from her angle, it's as silent as it would be 
if you were deaf. As yeah, in, when 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 the focus is on her, mm. it's it's completely silent. When the focus is on other characters, you can still hear the ambient noise. Just yeah, nobody but, talks. But when when the focus is on her, it's it's dead silent. Yeah, and in that way, um, yeah, it just seems really interesting to me. Another to me. another good thing was once the terrified kids left, I watched it in a very respectful cinema, so everyone kind of behaved. Oh, there wasn't much rustling. There were no mobile phones. There wasn't even any screaming or shrieking or laughing like you usually get at horror films. Oh, excellent! Uh, it, it is very, it's very, it's very good. Uh, I think why my lady friend liked it, and I don't want to put words in her mouth, Ben, but what she liked about it was that there were no jump scares really per se yeah because they were telegraphed well there's just no jump scares there's no shrieking violins and ah there's a cat in the wardrobe mm. none of that nonsense none it was of that, all no, just none of that rubbish yeah that's good very good uh lost in space ben have you seen it have you uh, interest in seeing no, it? I, I have no real interest in... I think this is another bloody nostalgia currency fucking project where we're cashing in on something that people grew up with and we're just going to reboot it and uh, chuck it around. Lost in Space was originally out in the 70s? 70s? 60s. 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 <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, a lot of people who grew up with Lost in Space don't, have, don't give a shit about Netflix. Yeah. I don't think they're the people who are going to be watching it. Yeah. They've changed it quite a bit, though. It's it's not the family oh, environment it yeah. used to be. It's a bloody Rixie business kind of gig, no? No, well, it is kind of a little bit. Um, it, it's it's tonally and visually and look and feel. It's very like uh, Star Trek Discovery. Ah, ah, because it's Netflix. It's it's the same production team, basically. Yeah, I assume. Yeah. I don't it know. Is. I haven't done any research. What is this? A podcast? But um, it it looks it looks and feels like the new Star Trek, in a lot of ways. It's like a companion piece to the Star Trek. Okay, interesting. How's the Look robot? The, the robot's cool. It's like a typical science fiction space robot. Very modern robot. science fiction space robot. Ah, yeah, we'll have some of that then. That's that's. There's good. a bit of mystery behind its origins. It's. Uh, Look, it's good. It's well acted. There's a bit of... They, even though they have a family, they've managed to squeeze a bit of racial diversity in, which was ah, interesting yeah. at first. So you have to have that now. Which was... Uh, yeah, you do. Well, uh, I think that's only fair. No, um, I'm not saying it's a bad they've thing. Done, they've done the racial diversity in a very neat way, which I didn't see coming. I, uh, the first episode, I was thinking, how... Why? What's going on here? Why? Why? Why is this a racially diverse family? How has this happened? Is that what but you say the, in real life when black, you see that, Michael? Because we might have to have a chat. Ben, I live in Ireland. I have never seen a racially diverse family. <laughs> that I mean, I've never seen a brother and sister who had even remotely different skin colours. Stop that. Ireland is, is becoming a, a very racially diverse place. Give over. Yes, it is. It's cer- and like in certainly in a few years we'll see that almost all the time. But uh it, it's quite a new phenomena here. Mm, mm. That's very true. Join us next week when we tackle the problems faced by integrating uh, members of the itinerant community. Um, Jesus Christ, Ben. Michael and I will look at at how they fit in to an Ireland that hasn't really learned to accept them yet. Um, We'll also talk to various people who've come here from uh, Syria and try and find out how their lives are going. So that's all this week from Marion Finucane and Michael Dulunch. I'm Um, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing any of that. That's a bloody (coughs) hornet's nest. I want to just talk about comics and films and stuff. All right, fair enough. I didn't know we were doing issues. Fair enough. 
That's your other podcast, Ben. Oh, that's my other podcast. That's that's Lunch with Ben. Um, yeah, Lunch with Ben. RT has signed me up to a, a, a 16 million year contract. I'll be entertaining old well, women good. in Ireland on RT if, 2. For the next if RT sign you up for a contract, that will even further justify my refusal to pay for a TV license. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, you'll pay not to have me on the air, Michael. I will... <laughs> I would I would go to RT and demand that they pay me. <laughs> that's how that's how far I would go in my to live quest in a world where I'm allowed to, to live in a world where I'm allowed to program things. That's awful. No, just with you being on RTE, just that oh, combination that's... of two things would just really set me off. I think I'd be a great, you know, morning host, you know, giving it giving it socks there on the radio. Do you know? Do you know? Um really loud tell and us, aggressive. Uh, tell and... us a Tell us a somewhat inane story of something that happened to you, Ben. I was out there last Friday night in Coppers. I know, don't ask me. It was mental, right? And I was out there, and this guy comes up to me, right? And he's like, do you like this song? And he's talking about bloody Drake. I mean, really. And he's just, he's just giving it all this. And he's got his gar jersey on. And you're just like, oh, God, what am I doing here? And then you remember. Ben, that's actually very this good. This where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, Ben, that's very good. Um, I think a bit niche. I think probably only about a, a third of our listeners are going to have any idea why that was remotely amusing. But, but <laughs> still, I, still, it was good. Well, I think I did it quite well. Um, don't mean to toot my own horn there, but um, yeah, not not too shabby. We're we're moving on. <laughs> yeah, go on. Let's get on with it, Benjamin. Yes. This week we're talking about a topic. Oh, a topic. What what topic? A will topic we talk very about? close to your heart. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's your lungs. My lungs. Oh, we're talking about my lungs. No, because they're very close to your heart. I, I got I got why you did it. I just, I really it want to talk about my gag. lungs. It was a good gag. It was a good gag. Ben. Yeah. What even is Rick and Morty? Uh, Rick, and, Rick and Morty, Morty, Rick and Morty. Okay, I won't do it. Um, right, it's, okay, it's, look. No, because it's going to be. This is the one week. This is the one week when we're going to relax somewhat the Rick and Morty voice embargo. Oh, you, you think you're special because you're, you're relaxing the rules? No, Morty? hold on. No, hold on. Hold on a minute. Give it over. We're relaxing the embargo somewhat for appropriate moments, not just the whole thing. Are you sure, Morty? What happens if I don't do that, Morty? <laughs> Is there a punishment, Morty? Well, there's, there's very little I can physically do to you as you are across the continent. Because I'm I'll, safe. I'll get you next time, though. Yeah, Next time I see you, I'll just sneak up on you and stab you. Mm, oh, you'll get me. Anyway, what even is Rick and Morty? Rick and Morty mm-hmm. is an animated television show um, that has been greenlit by uh, Adult Swim, a wonderful network that specializes in adult-themed uh, animation. Um, and it aired uh, December 2nd, 2013. So it's quite a recent phenomenon. Oh, well, that's five years. And that's five years. Yeah, Four and a half. Five years. Wow. Wow, it seems like a lot less. Um, so anyway, well, um, it's only been on air for three of those five years. That's true because it does take an hour long, long awaited, or not long awaited, a long loathed break in between each season. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we'll come back to that because I think that actually does a little bit of damage. So uh, to the overall thing, so the first the uh, the first season aired over two years, two thousand thirteen to two thousand fourteen. That'll happen when you do a uh, when you do an L. Uh, December 2nd December premiere start yeah um, and that, that had sense. 11 episodes and then from there right. season 2 premiered in 2015 um, on July 26th and that Go had on. another 10 episodes so we, we reduced Go by on, one yeah. uh, and then we had another one in 2017 so a little bit of gap 
uh, on each one, and that aired on April 1st, 2017. Um, and you'll recall that that was quite unannounced, and they just started dropping the episodes. as a little, little market. They dropped gimmick. the episode on uh, April Fool's Day, of course. That was very good. The they pilot did. episode, the Szechuan Sauce episode. Yes. Gotta get that Szechuan Sauce, Morty. Um, yeah, so um, they did all that. And it centers around two key characters, Rick who is the grandfather of Morty. And um, they get up to all kinds of um, B-list sci-fi hijinks. And what, what the show B-list? What the show fundamentally is, is a love letter to B-list science fiction. Um, and that kind of thing. Um, and what I mean by that, Michael, is if we take a look at the first... Uh, if we take a look at the first season, which I think is probably its strongest season... Although, as in so many things, uh, yeah, it was it was probably one of the stronger seasons. But um, really interesting episodes. Uh, each one kind of tackles uh, a science fiction trope, I suppose, and I love an L trope, Michael, as you know. You do we, love a trope, ben, so as much as almost as much as like a theme or a genre hybrid. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think the first episode, the pilot episode, was probably one of the most unique that they've done because it really focused on their world. Um, so what you have is Rick and Morty kind of hopping through a dimension. And it sets up everything you need to know about the characters in a really clear way. Rick forces his grandson to smuggle uh, kind of um, very precious seeds from one dimension um, in his ass across dimensional borders. Um, and that, and what you get to see there is you get to see Morty and, and all his nervousness and all the awful things that he does. And you get to see just how abusive his grandfather is and how little he gives a fuck. It's a pretty solid introductory episode. From there, each plot kind of takes... at that oh, stage... At that mm-hmm. stage, um, you're not really entirely sure how much of a dick Rick is. No, but it, it certainly gives you an inkling into the fact that he's probably not a morally centered white knight. Right, you're, go on. You're, you're free of all that. Anyway, then progressively from there, each episode kind of takes a, a traditional kind of beloved sci-fi trope and starts to take the mick out of them so the second episode was lawnmower dog and that was a parody of the 1980s film the lawnmower man and the idea of robot uprising um in this case it's it's driven solely by dogs it's quite entertaining dog, um, dog uprising yeah it's a it's a dog uprising the next one was anatomy park fantastic voyage um and that was a mistake of two very well-known uh sci-fi tropes jurassic park and um fantastic voyage and it, it does a pretty good job of that um the next one was M. And Night. Inner Space with and Dennis Quaid. In, oh, was that Inner Space as well? There you go. There you go. Um, then after that, we had M. M Night uh, Shemalians, um, which was quite interesting. <laughs> Is that not right? Well, no, I think it might be part of the reason why you can't pronounce M. Night Shyamalan That's because yeah. you're... I'm, I'm twisted just, by the name of that episode I'm just wrong but that was very much like the Truman Show meets Independence Day um, Rick is stuck in a simulation and he's being tricked into doing something and yes that's what you do um, and I think that was one of the more uh, well, we'll get into why that was an interesting episode after that um, after that they continually kind of do this thing over and over and over and over and over again um, they have an episode that makes fun of the idea of a chemical love potion so stuff like weird science and things like that um, Yeah. And, and that's fly. a that's a little uh, that's a little Cronenberg nod, um, and then you have uh, other things that kind of you know um, they use a, they have an episode dedicated to Ray Bradbury, and that that kind of makes fun of some of his tropes where the devil does all kinds of things, and you know it has a little Stephen <laughs> King jab. <laughs> The devil does all kind of things. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, you know, you know how it is. Um, anyway, 
anyway, it it is one of the stronger episodes, and I I think it's great. Which why one? Do you, why do you? Sorry, one of the stronger seasons. Uh, season one, I think, is definitely their stronger one because they have a very clear idea of what they want to do, and they very cleverly subvert um, a lot of that genre and kind of. Uh, take out what you consider conventional storytelling. There are very few happy mm-hmm. endings or easy resolutions in Rick and Morty. And I think that's what made the first season so strong. Um, right. For me, personally. How about yourself, Michael? What do you like about it? What do I, well, uh, Ben, it's just fart jokes. That's, I mean, that's what I like about it. Fair enough. Can't argue with that, Michael. So you, 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 wouldn't say, you wouldn't say, Michael, that, that you know, it speaks to your intellect or it, it kind of resonates with the deep, tortured philosopher that you've always been. Um, and finally, there's a show that makes you feel that somebody gets you. You, you wouldn't say any of that? No. Definitely no. not. Oh, but that, Star that, Trek that, that. does that. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that, that's good, Michael, because, because that makes you significantly different from the majority of the Rick and Morty fan base. Oh, good, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, look... Speaking as a sign, as a as a for, as a recovered scientist, mm. um, it is nice to see um, a show that considers what it's doing in science. In a lot of ways, actually, it reminds me of um, Lost in Space. One of the things in, that really stuck me in Lost in Space when I was mm-hmm. watching it last week was the constant kind of it, it's kind of science ish. It's it's the people often confuse science and trivia, and a lot of the time in um, in Lost in Space, the the characters show they're really smart and really scientific by just knowing a trivial fact. Okay, so it's you know a subtle saying? intelligence. And no, well, uh, I I I think in a lot of ways the Rick and Morty. Why don't, what am I really saying here? Um, <laughs> What, what am I really saying? The the Michael on, me, the Michael let me Leonard consider podcast. Consider what I'm saying here. Am I am I just am I just going? Am I ignoring <laughs> Morty and just talking about Lost in Space? I think I might be. Yeah, forget what I said there. That was more of a criticism of Lost in Space. It is nice to see a kind of considered approach to science and scientific principles and um, and scientific philosophy as okay. such in in a TV show. Um, a lot of TV shows that have, uh, let's say, multiple universes, yeah, don't really ever consider what that would mean for the characters. Um, yeah, like a lot of times in your Star Treks and your Stargates and your your various other star star programs, a character will die and be replaced by a version of themselves from another dimension. Um, famously, it happened with Harry Kim in Star Trek Voyager. Okay, and. He had a bit of an existential crisis about it for a little while of, oh, my universe is wiped out and now I'm in this universe and I'm the only one from my universe in this universe. But it was all forgotten about two weeks later. Yeah. Harry Kim. Classic. And, you know, they they touch on the idea, but that that idea is really hammered home in Rick and Morty. Yeah. No, that's that's like the the Cronenberg episode. The Cronenberg episode. Love Potion number nine is what it's called. That that drives that one fairly bloody hardcore. Um, oh, the, the the idea of the fact they've killed everyone in the universe, and then they go and they go and live in another universe where they're dead, and everything just carries on as usual. It was one of the best 
moments of TV writing I think I've ever seen. The Fiorentina just, fans agree with you. They they were like, oh yeah, that was, oh, that was good. Florence, oh, really? Florence okay. agrees with you. Um, but I thought that was one of the best bits of TV writing ever. Just really considering the the trauma that Morty went through to do and that he, even two years later he still references it that yeah he keeps it up that that's the thing it's consistently their universe is consistently philosophically horrific um mm. which is kind of really interesting i think one of the more interesting episodes in the later seasons is where they travel back to that dimension um right yeah do you do you remember that episode and he meets yeah, meet. his former yeah. sister mother and father who have survived cronenberging uh, mm-hmm. Or no, they don't survive Cronenberg. What did they survive? No, they do. They survive. Yeah, they don't. They don't get changed. Yeah, they don't get changed. But that's kind of horrific because they've been left to deal with this universe um, that really isn't their fault at all. And I think one of the more interesting episodes is how calmly Morty has to deal with that situation um, because you see a real character arc for Mor- uh, Morty over the three seasons, and I think it's it's quite a subtle one. But it's really interesting. He starts as this super nervous, like, oh, geez, Rick, and everything scares the crap out of him and everything. Um, oh, there's a little little, little plastic Morty there um, on screen. And he starts very much um, as, as a terrified uh, kind of prepubescent boy. Um, mm-hmm. And that character has very subtly changed over time. Um, I think Summer is introduced more strongly in season two and three as a, a kind of... Uh, companion uh, more often and Morty has really started to accept his role in these weird kind of awful scenarios Um, Mm -hmm. and he's like this is my sister from this is my original sister this is my original mother this is my original and he kind of kindly explains this to I think it's Summer isn't it he has to explain this to New Summer Um, which is (laughs) really interesting like and he's accepted that and I think that point's kind of brought home again in in a later episode. They have that quote. Hang on, I have it here. Um, mm-hmm. Don't run. Nobody exists on purpose. Nobody belongs anywhere. Everybody dies. Now come watch TV. That's one of his famous lines, and everyone kind of quotes that one. But it's, it's a profoundly bloody, existentially devoid statement. It's, it's pretty heavy stuff. Um, yeah, but, you know, um, also hard to argue with. It is hard to argue with, and that's because fundamentally in that show, that concept of an absurd universe um, is is very strongly, it's very strongly built around that concept that that there is no value in the universe. Yeah, well, you know, Ben, if if you if you were like Rick and did discover that there was an infinite multiverse with infinite possibilities, it is genuinely true that things don't matter in that universe. Yeah, morality um, does tend to skew somewhat um in that case but i i think you know they brought that element even stronger i think what makes the rick of earth hang on i think it's c here it is where is it c137 uh mm-hmm. so there the dimensions Our are rick. classified yeah the, the rick that the series centers around is unique among other ricks um and he's quite recognized as that because because there are an infinite amount of shush florence it's very loud outside <laughs> my window um I just shushed Florence. They probably won't like that. You can't shush Florence. They'll ignore you. And um, I think the most interesting thing there is uh, there are obviously multiple Ricks for multiple universes. Um, Infinite Ricks. Yeah. And most Ricks have chosen 
to band together mm-hmm. because they feel safer in a larger group. The Rick that we follow, C-137 Rick, is completely outside of that system and not only that, despises that system um, mm. because this Rick is recognized as a very emotional Rick. Um, and I think what makes Rick such an interesting character, the Rick that we follow, such an interesting character, is that he is stuck between this very emotional human Rick and the mm-hmm. super scientist that he is. And that actually causes all kinds of strange impulses in him. I think he's quite suicidal and hedonistic um, because he's suffering most of the time, um, mm. which makes him a really fascinating character. I mean, that's touched on a bunch of times in the series. You have the famous near suicide scene where he's going to blast his own head off. And the only reason he doesn't is because he passes out and falls underneath the beam of the laser. Um, is that the one where as, after he's done that at the same time we see Jerry just using the weed whacker having a great time yeah out in the garden and it's, it's you know there are these moments of sheer juxtaposition I, I I'm going to plug myself here Michael I wrote a, an essay a couple of years ago um, based exactly on that and there's a a really strong quote that's given when we talk about genius and there's a a famous historian in France called uh, Jacques Barsoun, which is very difficult to say normally. Um, and he has a great quote that's, uh, that says, only a great mind that is overthrown yields tragedy. And um, it's a pretty strong quote. It's, it's very, very artsy-fartsy, but it's a good quote. Um, and Rick has suffered a, a massive loss in this universe. Ben, I have a similar quote for you. Oh, go on. Um, this is a quote from uh, Joe Thiesman, who's an American football guy. Uh-huh. And he said, nobody in football should be called a genius. A genius is a guy like Norman Einstein. <laughs> Where did you find that? On the internet. Why, why did you find that? It's pretty good, though. It's a long story. I like it. Um, <laughs> it's pretty good. But in that other particular quote that I gave you, which is probably now it seems very wanky in comparison with your quite humorous quote but um he argues that what what is what is a real tragedy is when someone is exceptionally intelligent and they can't escape that so they kind of what happens is they can't um they can't consolidate their um human side and their human wants needs and desires so a partner a wife a child whatever with this drive that they have to discover and learn and experiment and what what happens mm-hmm. is these two things clash consistently and it ruins the men that do it. And I think one of the great or things... Or women. Men or women, sorry. Men or women. You're absolutely right. But mostly men. But... Um, <laughs> um, but I think one of the great things about that, Rick, is he suffered a massive tragedy. Um, and this has only been revealed in the third season where he was offered an opportunity to join the Council of Ricks, and he chose mm-hmm. his family instead. Um, and in response to this, yeah, the Council of Ricks tries to destroy him. Bad um, eggs. Bad eggs. Um, and I think he kind of plays that off as a, a huge false scenario that he's concocted to do this. But I think that element of his backstory is true. Um, and he warped everything oh, else. So? I, I oh. think that's why. Because it's always hinted at that his mother, that his wife... Mm-hmm. died in some horrible way and he was left to raise Beth. Um, so I think, mm-hmm. you know, he pick and mix different elements. But anyway, anyway, 
I think that is something and Rick as a result of this tragedy and result of this genius is quite an insufferable character um, oh he's a real dick yeah and we only get to see glimpses of decency in him and for some reason his Morty is extremely special to him and that's that human aspect coming back in um, how much do, of Rick being unlikable do you think is part of his character and how much of it do you think is bad writing um, I think by season three, it's bad writing. I think season one and two were much more a case of part of his character. Oh. Um, I think season three is quite weak by the comparison of the other episodes. And the reason I think that is, usually what made Rick and Morty great for me, or what, what gave me my favorite episodes, is where they try something completely out of left field with a genre. One of the One of the big ones... Um, for me was in season two and that's the hang on it's here somewhere I have it written down um, then on your list it's the ooh, um, po- podcast gold here yeah. everybody is it Morty Night Run where they break time where they break time yeah which one do they break time in different dimensions they split the time oh it's, it's not time though is it it's they they break causality isn't yeah, it yeah they break or, well, they basically, basically go on go on hey, go on it's uh they take the concept of schrodinger's cat mm-hmm. um and they expand it into an entire episode um go on. where morty's indecision and summer's indecision causes a rift in the universe but what happens with with multi-dimensions is you you have the the multiverse theory which is every decision that is made has two possible outcomes the positive or the negative and each time that decision is made it expands a brand new universe and that's schrodinger's cat schrodinger's cat is a cat that may or may not eat poison inside a box and you can't possibly know until you open the box then um is it not you poison a cat? Is that not you offer it poison well, food? Yeah, you but no, you don't offer it poison food. There's gas, and the gas is radioactive oh. decay. Schrodinger's cat. Here's an interesting thing about Schrodinger's cat. Schrodinger, the the scientist and philosopher Schrodinger, yeah. he proposed Schrodinger's cat as an example of the the wrong way of understanding quantum mechanics that you can't explain, understand it on a macro level. So Schrodinger's cat the original thought experiment is actually a kind of mockery of that concept, but that's irrelevant. Oh, and every single pseudo intellectual on the planet quotes it for fun. Every, a lot of people then take it as a a serious thought experiment, but it wasn't a serious thought experiment. It was supposed, it was a, a thing designed to point out the absurdity of trying to think of quantum events on a macro level. Mm. And I think that's, Interestingly enough, I I would say, having heard your explanation, that adds an extra layer to that particular episode because Rick constantly tries to do that. Mm. Uh, Or it doesn't try. Rick constantly recognizes the silliness of what he's doing. Um, Right. And I think what makes him an interesting character and what prevents him from becoming completely dull and amoral is that he's constantly pulled back to looking after Summer and Morty. Right. Um, And it seems to be less so about Summer and more so about Morty, because Summer, he left the original Summer that he had behind, but he kept the original Morty. Even if that was the original Summer, how many? How knows how many dimensions he's been in before See, he reached that thing. one? That's the thing. We we don't know what he's gone through, and I think um, what what really made that episode great for me is eventually it takes place on about forty different split screens. 
Yeah, it's great. Um, and when you think about the time and storyboarding and, and effort that had to go into that, um, mm-hmm. that's that's madness. Um, that's insane. Like that's, a, that's an impressive episode. Um, and I think that's what made season one and two so good. And then I think Interdimensional Cable 1 was a great episode where you have all these tropes of films and movies and they were just able to make fun of every single one of them um, at will. Is two brothers and and they've got a real strong bond and and then there's cats. There's a cat. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know. Have you ever have you ever seen British comedian? Oh God, I've forgotten his name. I can see his little face now. Uh, Bob Mortimer. Yes, I know him well. A, a lot of the intergalactic cables stuff reminds me of Bob Mortimer. He just can yeah. make up an absurd story on the spot like nobody else. Yeah, and he used to do, he did that quite a bit in the the Mortimer and Reeves or Reeves and Mortimer, Reeves and Mortimer. Yeah, he's he's, he's very good. If anyone's listening and they've never heard Bob Mortimer, look him up. He's great on the TV show. Uh, Would I lie to you? He's yeah, he is very good in that, isn't he? He's very good. And he in makes that. up. He makes up character names on the spot, the likes of which you would expect to appear in Rick and Morty. It's pretty solid. Um, Mm. Yeah, but I think there are lots of, you know, I think it's those shows that cause that subtle melancholy when you realize how much these characters lose on a regular basis. I think another good example of that is Total Recall, where all the parasites take the form of... um, Take the form memories of and characters memories and, and you know quirky side characters like a butler mm-hmm. or whatever, Mister Poopy Butthole. And I think that raises a really interesting question about if you have a memory of something, mm-hmm. how disingenuine is that bond you feel for that person? Um, so what happens is the characters are exposed to implanted or false memories, mm-hmm. um, and they feel this deep affection for various characters that have only been in their lives for about twenty minutes. Um, yeah. and and what's awful about that is, I don't know how much that differs from actual friendship. Oh, in terms of in terms of, if you have a memory of someone stretching back mm-hmm. however long, does that make your feelings towards that person any less genuine than it would had you actually spent that much time with them? Um, and it it boils down to that 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 connection, whether it's chemical or or you know emotion based or whatever, but some of those characters have then got to kill characters that they have wonderful memories of. Yeah. Um, which is fascinating. Um, especially when you look at... Well, sorry, go on. It would be like, if I, Ben, if I killed you, yes. would I realize that the last 45 episodes of this podcast had just been my imagination and I'd imagined them all in the well, last 10 minutes? These 45 episodes of the podcast are in your imagination and I have no idea why oh! you keep turning on your computer and talking What's to thin air. Um, but yeah. That's fine. I don't mind being a figment of your imagination. Um, you're, a, you're a pigment of my imagination. A pigment of your... What, what shade am I? I'm too uh, Burnt umber. Oh, burnt umber. Get in. Classy. Um, best pigments. Yeah, but someone I feel really strongly for in that episode is Jerry. Jerry has a whole bloody love arc, with a, a gay love arc with, with one of the parasites. And then, then he is clearly happier in that relationship than he has been with Beth in many, 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 many years. <laughs> and like, but then he has to kill him. Like that's. Yeah, but he's only a he's only a pigment of his imagination. I understand that, but when you think about it on a on a purely emotional level, that memory is no less real mm-hmm. than a memory he's made with his family. But it shows you how easy it should be to kill people then, if yeah, all but... the only thing that brings you connected to them is memories. See, that's interesting though, isn't it? That's no, it's not interesting. It's worrying. Now, I, now I'm now i thinking about killing people. 
Oh, no. Oh, oh shoot. no. All right, we're going to take a pause on the thing. I'm going to ring the authorities, and we're going we're gonna <laughs> to sort all that out. Um, don't worry, Michael. Help us on the way. Be cool. Um, ben, ben, we've got very little time left. Go on, anyway. Uh, what, what do you like? What, what episode do you like? Michael. Well, I, I already mentioned there one of my. I, I really like the Cronenberg episode. It's one of my yeah. favorite episodes. Uh, yeah. I really, really like the Rick Lantis. Oh, uh, that was good because it had nothing to do with Rick and Morty. Of C one thirty seven. Yeah, it's just the 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 Rick and Morty the the different Mortys on the space station was just a fantastic episode. That was an Although, amazing episode. Like many kind of world building episodes in shows not ideal for someone who's just new to the show that's not what you would show someone if you're saying here check this show out it's great watch yeah. this you need that's a build-up that's 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 fan service in a yeah, great way it, the the cronenberg episode will be a good one to show people who yeah. are new to the series that lets you know um, everything that you need exactly and um, episodes i didn't wasn't that fond of though i i didn't really like the avengers one um yeah the with the what were they called the i can't remember what they were called to be oh. honest. one of my you you almost stumbled on it a little earlier sorry i've gone negative here but i think we've been That's too right. positive for the rest of the podcast uh, That's right. one of one of the negatives and you stumbled on it earlier by calling summer his companion is the yeah. the rick as doctor who kind of thing which they mention themselves in one episode, or Rick even mentions himself. He's unlike unlike Doctor Who up in this bitch or something. Yeah, because um, he does that. I don't like. I don't like an infallible, undefeatable hero. Yeah, and that's I, one of the episodes that really highlighted that for me was start of season season three. Um, start of season three takes all the hard work they've put into that character and chucks it out the window because he beats them. There's there's never any doubt that Rick is going to win. Hmm. Um, at least there wasn't for me. Um, there wasn't for me because um, he beats the big government thing and he topples the government. And then the worst part of that was the logic of, that was my plan all along. That's why I got caught. Uh, you know, um, And my plan was to, to topple the government. And I think that kind of ruined it because at the end of the previous season, season two, he had to make a huge decision to choose his family yeah. or his own instinct. And he chose his family. And that was brilliantly built up at the end of that episode because what what did you what did you do wrong? And he says everything. And that's that's amazing. Um mm-hmm. And that, that was an amazing episode, and it, it kind of it was a real culmination of his character. They had been building all this pathos and this misery that he clearly lives with all the time, um, and it was great. And then all of a sudden, next episode is like, oh, "I got you." They were all implanted memories, and uh, um, yeah, no good. And I just felt it was so sloppy. Um, and I think really, really, what's happened here is they are trying to write the next season for the really hardcore fans that love Rick. And they you are, think? I think they're trying to appeal to the fan base that's like, oh, Rick is the best. He's such a genius and an asshole. And, um, because there is that huge phenomenon and there's that, that noted tension between the series co-creator um, Dan Herman and his fan base. He right. finds that fan base incredibly toxic because they are incredibly mm-hmm. toxic because it is the kind of person that watches that show and says oh that's that's so like me i'm surrounded by idiots and there's a big demographic of that type of guy watching the show (laughs) and again no like and that's you know 
Every Spain attacking internet people again. I don't give a crap. Um, ben, I believe Don Herman said, I wouldn't wish the the fans of that show on any fast food restaurant. Oh, Jesus. That's yeah, because of that video re- of your man running in and screaming on the counter in McDonald's or something, isn't he? Well, the whole Szechuan sauce thing was a debacle. But um, what I think is really interesting is Dan Herman said, I wouldn't wish the fans of that show like he's linguistically distancing himself from it. Yeah, I not my show or our show or the show that that show. show. Yeah, it's just interesting. Like, I, I don't know. I find that part of the culture quite difficult. And obviously, in 2013, I wrote a very wanky essay about Rick and Morty, obviously. I think it was 2015, actually, because mm-hmm. I would have been season two. Um, and, you know, obviously, I, I tend to read a bit too much into everything um, yep. because that's what I like to do. For sure. Um, but I, I really, 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 really enjoyed season one and season two. And I did not enjoy season three nearly as much. Um, I think there were way too many episodes that were a case of, oh, look at Rick doing Rick stuff. Rickety Rick, Rick, Rick. Um, and getting away with, with everything. Um, I, I don't know, though. I get the feeling that the show is starting to hate Rick as much as as, as Dan Harmon is. Well, that's because he, although he was totally in control in that Avengers episode, he, uh. he was the bad guy. And although he was totally in control in the end, in the episode where the they extracted the toxins from their bodies... He still was the bad guy. He's they're very gradually. I think this could be a Heisenberg thing. I think it's a Breaking Bad. We're watching the birth of a supervillain. Kind oh, of thing. Oh wow. Well, not maybe not even watching the birth of a supervillain, but watching other characters realize yeah, yeah. that the character they think is a good guy is the supervillain. Yeah, I, I could. That's interesting. Because um, so hopefully they'll wrap up the season by killing Rick. Because vindicate like the vindicators that that's what they were called by the way the the Avengers that's what they were called the well vindicators. done um, that's interesting because he's the villain in that as well oh that's what I'm talking about he's like that's he the he one mur- where he's very clearly the villain he murders all of them mm-hmm. all of now, them now they weren't great eggs no no but they didn't deserve to be murdered yeah some of them did well to be fair but the one who deserved to be murdered the most kind of got away with it. Yeah, I'm sure she'll come back at some point. No, yeah. toss her. Um, and you can't. You gotta love. You gotta love a, a Chris Pratt piss tag that dies in a very horrible way. That was. That was. Did you think he was a Chris Pratt tr- piss tag? He's I, I he's, a, he's a he's a he's a Stark and Star Lord hybrid. Yeah, I that makes sense actually. Um, Shall we wrap it up, Ben? Yeah. Anyway, give us give us your favorite episode there, and we'll wrap it up that way. Me? Yeah, go on. Oh, you're talking to me now. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I had to pick a favorite. If I had to pick one favorite, ah, oh, well, one that one that one that sings to you. One one that one, one that, that makes you. It's between the Cronenbergs. I really enjoyed oh, the Cronenbergs. Classic. I really classic enjoyed the Rick Lantis situation. Yep. And there's one other that I really, really, really enjoyed. Tiny Rick. <laughs> tiny Rick. I'm Tiny Rick. I liked. Um, you know yep. what I liked about Tiny Rick was it? It feels almost like it's from a more innocent time. It was yeah. just a bit of a jape. It was a sci-fi jape. Yeah, and that's what you need sometimes. Sometimes you need a mm-hmm. sci-fi jape. One of my, my favorite post credit scene in the entire mm-hmm. series um, 
comes from that one where like they go to the vampire overlord and it's like uh, your highness coach master no it's master coach Faratu has uh, has been staked and he goes oh no and he has this really dark voice and he's like send more and he goes wait a minute coach Faratu <laughs> and he's like yes coach Faratu and he's like, was he doing a bit <laughs> and it was like uh uh why is he naming himself after a famous noted vampire? <laughs> and he has this whole freak out where he's like, don't do that. <laughs> like, do it. So-. And it's amazing. It's just absolutely like uh, one of my favorite post credit scenes. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the spiel. Do it, Give ben. us a shout down below. Let us know which episode you enjoyed, which episodes you hated. Do you think the series is getting worse? Do you think Rick should die at the end of the season? Um... Uh, do you think we'll ever see season four? Do you think Dan Harmon is going to pull the escape cord on that way before mm. that even happens? Um, do, do you, you think, think a, a genius Roiland's? is a guy like Norman Einstein? Uh, well, I mean, Norman Einstein is a noted genius. Um, noted genius, Norman Einstein. <laughs> um, let us know who your favorite genius is. Um, actually, on the subject of geniuses doing strange things there are two things i would recommend that people watch if they're rick and morty fans and um, oh, go on one of them is the manhattan project which is a great comic uh, from image comics um, mm-hmm. go take a look at that if you're into dimension hopping sci-fi antics uh, great great one and then the other is a web series called i think it's science friends um where they follow like Kid Einstein and it's very adult themed and it's very Rick and Morty, but in a much more restrained kind of way. It's really cool. It's like Science Friends. We'll include the links in the video uh, this week because both are, are great things. Anyway, that's it from us, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, really good to talk to you. You're all morons and uh, uh, bye.